Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Here today is Sunday, May 22nd, and we were in Acts chapter 28, looking at verses 1 through 10, which builds off of the previous passage of Acts chapter 27, all 44 verses where Pastor Joseph was in. And uh, last week where Paul was set sail from Caesarea and was ultimately shipwrecked, right, encountered a storm and then was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So today we picked up with the shipwreck on the island of Malta and to see what happens when Paul is on Malta. He's experienced this uh, significant detour on his journey to Rome. And of course, he is under Roman guard. He is a prisoner on the ship, uh, which uh, a lot of the, the people on the ship would have been prisoners. Um, and so not all of them, as we noted in the sermon today, uh, because Luke gives us the we accounts uh, that we heard last week in chapter 27 and again here in chapter 28, uh, that Luke says that we made it to Malta. And so we have those we have those we accounts, which gives us the, the understanding that it's more than just Roman prisoners that are on the ship, but all 276 people that are on the ship shipwrecked due to a storm. They're on the island of Malta. And so we're, we're taking the questions from last week uh, together with the questions from this week, because really these two stories build together. Uh, Pastor Joseph uh, reminded us that God is able to make a way. He's able to make a way in the storms of our lives. And and here this morning, as we were in Acts chapter 28, we were reminded of the truth that our detours do not have to be destructive. And so uh, there's a lot of these underlying sort of below the waterline questions of providence and sovereignty and autonomy and choice, free will versus determinism, those kind of things. They're, they really linger under the waterline of this of this, this entire narrative, the shipwreck, Paul going to Rome, him enacting a legal process. Was he right? Was he wrong uh, to do that? Should he have just waited um, and trusted that God would send him, that God would vindicate him, set him free, as Festus said in, in the end of at the end of chapter twenty six? Uh, Paul, there's no reason for me to convict you. There's nothing for me to convict you of. In fact, if you wouldn't have made the appeal to Caesar, then I would have set you free. Uh, is essentially what Festus says. Uh, to Paul via Agrippa at the end of chapter 26. And so there, there are these under-the-waterline questions of determinism that linger within these passages. And so I thought what we'll do today is we are going to take the questions from last week and the questions from this week and really wrestle through those. And, and really, that's really where a lot of the questions are because, you know, for us, I think for us as, as humans— these are significant questions of our lives because we we yearn and we 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 desire deeply to make sense of the complicated things of life. It is why in the last 2 years with all of the all of the craziness that has that has gone on in the last 2 years in our country and in our world what we've often leaned into or or desired more than anything is just to make sense of it all. We want to understand the why. We want to understand the how. We want to understand what's driving these things. And so 
that's it's again what we what we yearn to understand in this in this passage. And so uh, one of the things that Joseph said in the previous week was talking about this idea that God is able to make a way uh, in our lives. He's able to make a way in the storms. He's able to make a way in our obedience um, and those kind of things. But God's able to make a way. And he made this comment that um, that God never gives us more than we can bear. And, and, and Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 10 talks about temptation. Uh, and he, he says that, uh, God, that God never permits um, that a temptation would come to us that would overcome us, right? God always gives us a way out. You know what he says in 1 Corinthians 10 there. That when, it, when, when we are tempted to sin, there is no temptation that is uncommon to man. All people, right, whatever you're tempted with, it's not you exclusively. There is someone else that struggles with it. And, and in that, even though it's not uncommon to man, so it's not exclusive to you, um, uh, that's good news, by the way, because <laughs> sometimes we make ourselves islands uh, unto our own selves where we think no one else would understand, no one else gets this, no one else is working through this in the way that I have to work through this, which is just not true. So God tells us that in First Corinthians there through Paul. Uh, but not only is it n- not uncommon, there are others that can sympathize and empathize with us. Uh, but secondly, there will be no temptation that we will experience that we cannot overcome. Why? Well, because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, first and foremost. Um, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, led by the Holy Spirit to go out into the desert, into the wilderness. He resisted the temptations of the devil. Uh, and so uh, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit in his incarnation, in his humanity on earth, his earthly life and ministry, he is tempted. Now, he's, he's tempted uh, in the ways that are uniquely tempting for him. Um, and, and, and so he resists those temptations. He is in this way the second Adam who resisted those temptations, the first Adam who did not resist. But uh, Paul tells us there, uh, the temptations that we get, um, we are able to resist them. God does not permit the, the devil to tempt us uh, in any way that we cannot, that we cannot bear, right? And so sometimes there's this common phrase, and as we talk about in Christianity, that God will not give us anything that we cannot bear, and it comes out of that idea, and it's it's not wrong. Uh, but this this first question comes up and is really wrestling with that idea. In fact, we're gonna we're gonna wrestle with that twice here. Uh, but the idea says, um, what about in the statement of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter one, verses eight and nine? God intentionally brings us to the end of ourselves so that we depend on Him. That's the beauty of the gospel. Now, I would agree here at this statement that that is the beauty of the gospel that as as we are drawn to the end ourselves, we are, we find, and it is made clear to us, the capability of God. As we experience our inability, the gospel, it, it, the, the fullness of life that we receive in Jesus shows us just how capable God is. But let me, let me read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, or sex, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 here real quick. We can just dive into this. Uh, verse 8, for we do not want you, this is Paul speaking, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised or despaired of life itself. Okay, here's Paul. He's reminding the believers in, in Corinth of the persecution that he experienced in Asia, in Turkey, okay? And, uh, and, and so remember, we're in the book of Acts. You remember that. You remember the the arrests, the beatings, the trials, uh, the pain that Paul experienced in Philippi, right? Paul is arrested in Philippi 
and he is persecuted. All right. So Paul's saying, we do not want you brothers to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They were at the end of their rope emotionally. Verse nine, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. Verse, this is verse 10. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope so that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings, the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Right. So uh, this idea is sometimes we go, okay, well, did God cause these sufferings, right? And does he do this? Does he cause suffering in order to intentionally bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can depend on it, as this statement, as this statement says? And there is beauty in that, that we, are, we do come to find the depth of God's ability in the face of our inability, right? Paul is at the end of himself here in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the persecution he experienced in Asia. But the important thing that we have to be careful of, the process is called hermeneutics. When we read the Bible, now, hermeneutics is simply the study of how to read the Bible rightly. And, and so uh, the process is that we need to make sure that we're reading the, con- the, the passage in context, in, in whole. And, and so, so as we do this, again, let's, let's back up. Let's back up in, in, in the First Corinthians here. Paul is writing, this is a second letter to the church in Corinth. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 3. The Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so that through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So the larger context of of the passage here, um, Paul doesn't infer that God caused the sufferings, right? And that God intentionally caused the sufferings to draw Paul to the end of himself. What Paul says in verse 10 is that he delivered us, right? Paul literally says he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And and so that really has to be our framework for understanding uh, this passage and even the conversation that we are going to continue to have here this morning is that uh, Paul does not say that God, Paul does not explicitly say that God caused those trials. Instead, what Paul says is that in the face of those trials and sufferings, which were caused by evil men, by, you know, uh, evil people, um, uh, stirring up trouble and riots, it's what got Paul arrested in Jerusalem in chapter 24. It, it's caused by the sin of others. That trial, those temptations, not temptations, excuse me, the trial and the persecutions are caused by the sin of others. But Paul says, but God was faithful to deliver us. And because he was faithful to deliver us, he know we know that he'll deliver us again. And we can be comforted in that reality that God will deliver us. So uh, to the church in Corinth, if you're suffering, well, be comforted because we suffered for you, you know, uh, on your behalf as well. And because we were willing to suffer, you heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so if you suffer good news, it's like you're being like Jesus because Jesus suffered at the hands of evil men as well. And so 
Does God cause, does God intentionally cause suffering in our lives to bring us to the end of ourselves? Or does God use the suffering in our lives to, bring, to, 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 to demonstrate his ability? I think we just need to be, it's, it's a very fine line, but it's a, it's a very important line to draw, as we mentioned today, is that we can put God in a very deterministic pickle. We know from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God created all things and it was made good. It was not made evil. It was not made bad. It was not made imperfect. It was not made, you know, 50-50. God didn't shortchange the job. Uh, God made things that were good. James tells us our Father in heaven is a Father of light. Uh, There's no shifting shadow in him. John tells us that he is faithful to forgive us, right? Um, You know, he makes his love complete in us. Uh, We know that Jesus did not sin, right? So God does not, he took on our sin, but he did not actively sin. And so uh, we know from the scriptures over and over again that God is not party to evil. God does not participate in evil and God does not participate in sin. And so we have to be, we just have to be very careful on that line. Does God cause our suffering or does our suffering come from other pla- some other place? And this is another question that came up here of if God doesn't cause the detour, well, who does? And we, we said it this way this morning is that there's three primary reasons that we get detoured in life. It's either our sin, our brokenness for disordered desires, our choices of brokenness and disordered desires, right? I've I've elevated myself, and so out of my selfishness, out of my greed, out of my pride, out of my arrogance, out of my anger, uh, out of my lust, right? Uh, I've made a sinful decision, and that has had consequences to it. And, and those consequences often are detours. It has detoured plans for my life, right? Um, I, I was selfish and, and, and I, I said something at work to my boss or I acted in a way at work that got me fired. My career has been detoured, right? Um, I was consumed by lust and I uh, cheated on my, on my spouse or my, you know, my, uh, the person I was dating I was unfaithful to, right? And now it detoured that relationship, um, I was filled with pride and I acted inappropriately or angrily with a friend and it detoured that relationship, right? We can, we, can, we can go down the road here and put our finger on all kinds of different detours that have happened because of our sinful decisions. Uh, the second place, uh, the second way that our, the detours come up in our lives are the sinful decisions of others. We suffer consequences from those who have made sinful decisions. Um, someone who abused you, neglected you, um, you know, the, the divorce of our parents, um, all, all kinds of things have trickle-down effects, They're kind of these ripple effects generationally. Uh, the one way that we've said it, or I've heard it said, is that Jesus is in my heart, but Grandpa is in my bones, right? There are these, there's this reality to generational sin. We see it in the life of King David. I mean, when David, he, he becomes, he's known as this mighty warrior, man of God, man after God's own heart, because David is quick to repent, but David is by no means perfect. And in fact, David's, David's greatest sins are uh, lust and greed, right? When David goes to kill Goliath, uh, yes, he, he has this remarkable moment of placing his faith in God. He, he does not wear Saul's armor. Saul's armor does not fit. He says that God will go with me, that he will triumph because of God. But before he gets to that climactic point, that high point of the story, 
David's motivations aren't so pure. He asked three times ahead of that, what does the man get who kills the Philistine? And the answer is women and money. He's going to get the king's daughter and he's going to get a bag of gold. Like, And when we trace David's, David's kingdom and we trace David's life, what tends to be David's biggest problem? Women and money, right? And, and so there are generational impacts to David's family line because of his because of his sin. And so Jesus is in our hearts, yes, but grandpa's in our bones. The sins of others around us harm us greatly. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is so, so serious about sexual sin. Because sins against the body, both against our own bodies and against the bodies of others, they devastate us. Sins against the body devastate us. Physical, those sins of physical sins against the body devastate us. They break us. They, they cause us to struggle mentally, emotionally, physically, in all kinds of ways that are just tragic. And so Paul is serious about this, right? This, this idea of, of, of resisting sin. 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about this. Resisting sexual sin, fleeing sexual immorality. Because, because sins against the body, not just sexual sins, but physical sins of anger or abuse um, or murder, right? They, they, they impact us generationally. So the sins of others cause us to be detoured in life. And then finally, we just we live in a broken age. When Adam and Eve uh, sinned uh, and the, the fall happened, part of the curse is, is now against the earth. Uh, Adam, Adam was uh, to work and to farm and to, to, to steward and to, and to care for this good garden that God gave him. And he was in a harmonious relationship with the earth and creation uh, before the fall. After the fall, what is what's the what's the the punishment for for Adam is that he will work against the sweat of his brow, right? The earth will now be in conflict with him, and so while God made this good world, um, it is now the world feels the fallen effects of the brokenness, right? And so again, so here we are uh, in this in this passage. Another another question uh, that came up this way: It said, "If we don't know who caused the storm." Does that mean someone other than God is in control of the weather or climate? And again, here's where we have to come and say, well, no, God God created everything, so ultimately God is in control. But 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 does God does God uh, you know micro control every single thing? So when the wind blows, was that God blowing the wind? When a tornado comes, was it God creating the tornado, right? Um, and we can get ourselves, again, into a very deterministic pickle here by going, well, God caused that tornado, which then killed people. Um, and is, is, we can just get, it gets us into a very weird line here. Um, or to say is that, does, did God create this? And he didn't create it to be evil. He didn't create it to be broken. He didn't create nature to cause suffering. Yet it does because of the fall of man. And the promise in the end, chapter Revelation 21 and 22, is that God will redeem the earth. Uh, the God will redeem it and remake it whole. So it, it does God, if God, if we don't know who caused the storm, does that mean someone else other than God is in control? Well, no, God is all ultimately in control. But does God, does, it, does God prescribe every situation or uh, does God allow it to run its course? Okay. So um, I, I think, you know, the, as we sit here and we look at, it, we go, well, um, it can get us in a really difficult place 
if we're saying, well, God caused that tornado as punishment. We just don't know that. We don't know if God caused the, the storm as punishment. In fact, the Phoenicians, or not the Phoenicians, the, the, the Maltesians who are of Phoenician descent, uh, right? they saw, oh, you survived the storm, you survived the sea. These are divine retribution. These are acts of divine retribution. And so therefore, now the snake is finally going to get you. The snake is finally going to prove that you're guilty. And when the snake doesn't, right, when Paul doesn't die, they're like, oh, you must be a god. And so they're seeing these natural acts as divine retribution, but Paul is innocent. So if Paul is innocent and he's experiencing the storm, uh, right, it's because of the sinful, broken decisions of others, the pride, the arrogance of others that didn't listen to him uh, when they were in Caesarea. And Paul's like, we need to wait for the winter to be over. Winter is not the season to go sailing. And then we can get to Rome. (laughs) Uh, but the sinful, broken decisions of others led them into a turbulent season where they knew that they would face a storm. And they did. And they were shipwrecked. And uh, people's lives were were threatened. And so um, so if God doesn't cause the storm, but I mean, God permits the storm, right? He doesn't have to just cause it, but he is able then to, uh, he, he permits it within his will uh, in in the brokenness of this age. God permits it. But the, the earth and the climate, all of that is fundamentally broken in the same way that you and I are fundamentally broken because sin broke us. But we can get into a really weird place theologically when we say God is causing this evil or God is causing this suffering because we are told over and over again in the Bible that he does not cause evil. He doesn't participate in evil. He doesn't participate in sin. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in that, again, we, we come to this other, this other question from, from last week. Uh, it's, it says this, what if God doesn't answer my call for help? Or if I feel like he doesn't answer it, uh, what should I do? Speaking from Psalm uh, 50, verse 15, it says he will deliver me. How do I accept that he is with me even when it doesn't feel like it in the moment? Well, again, I think, you know, we're here in, in, in Acts chapters uh, 27, 28 here. Again, I'm not sure that Paul didn't feel that same thing that this question is feeling, right? I mean, here we just read in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 9, uh, or verse 8, we were so utterly burdened uh, that we despised of life itself, right? Paul came to this very same place. We must be careful when we read the scriptures, um, not to read into things it doesn't say, and not to read into things it does say, right? We have to be very careful here. We can read ourselves into the text or or read ourselves aspirationally into the text. And we can look at this moment on Malta and we can go, man, Paul was just so above it. He was unaffected by it. He didn't, he wasn't depressed. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't angry. Like I'm pretty sure he was all of those things at some point along this journey. I mean, otherwise. You know, I mean, like I said, in 2 Corinthians, he says, we literally despised of life itself in some of the sufferings that we experienced while in Asia, um, you know, and so we we can create this picture of Paul as this uh, above it all sort of person, and that's who we should be, but, but that's not who the scriptures tell us that we have to be. It's not even the picture of who uh, we get of, of who Paul is, and, and so the thing that's remarkable about Paul is that he is always remembering what God has done. And so, yes, when we're in the moment, when we are crying out for help and it does not feel like God is near to us, well, we, we stand in the truth when our feelings uh, tell us that God is not near. Well, that's when we have to stand on the truth that the scriptures tell us and say, well, God is near. 
right? Uh, it's why we need to surround ourselves with good, godly people to hear us, uh, walk alongside of us, bear our burdens together, and remind us of God's faithfulness, of how God has delivered us. And, and that's that's how we've made this definition of faith. Faith is not a blind faith. It's not that we trust God without any evidence or proof. It is that we, we trust God. We have a forward-looking trust based on God's past provisions. You heard it in 2 Corinthians as we read it earlier. God did deliver us, and so because God delivered us, even though we are at the end of our rope, we hoped that God would deliver us from that trial. Um, Paul, chapter here in Acts, chapter 26, uh, Paul, or chapter 24, excuse me, Paul knows, 23 and 24, Paul knows that he's going to experience sufferings when he gets to Jerusalem. Uh, And so he goes, I'm going to experience it. The Holy Spirit made it clear to me that I'm going to experience it, but God has always provided. God's always taken care of me. And so uh, Philippians chapter 4, Paul will go and he'll say, I've known, I've known, I've known Jesus in abundance and I've known him in lack. I've known him in, uh, you know, provision and I, or abundant provision, and I've known him in want. Yet it, it is Jesus, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul is talking about there in, first, in Philippians chapter 4, not just 13, but 11 through 13, is that knowing Jesus and knowing ex- having these past experiences where God has provided, it has enabled him to trust Jesus moving forward and that he can, that through Christ, he can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens him, right? So what Paul's talking about is he can endure sufferings uh, because Jesus has strengthened him. And the way, one of the ways that Jesus has strengthened him is that he gives him those memories of how God has provided. So when we're in that moment, we feel like God doesn't hear us or God's not providing it's really important for us to pause and to go, how did God provide? How has God taken care of us? We need to trace, we need to trace those things back. And again, when we're in the detours, um, who's responsible for our detours? If God is not explicitly causing the detours in our lives, if it's our sin, the sins of others, or just the reality that we live in a broken age, well, how do we, how do we, how do we stay balanced in the detour? How do we not allow it to destroy us? Um, it's it's that we again we trace back to what God has done. We trace back to what God has done, and 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 again we come back to this idea that we have to be really careful of not reading into the text too much, or or not um, you know looking for things that aren't there in the text. Um, the this this next question comes and it says I don't disagree with the idea that detours can bring clarity in seeing God, but quick question: How can we say that the native Maltesians? Uh, saw God more clearly if all it says is that they assumed Paul was a God. In a similar vein, they thought justice was a divine being, but not God. Um, yes, and so this is where we have to go, well, what was Luke's purpose in, in, this, in this passage? And Luke's purpose in this passage is showing us God's ability in the face of a detour, in the face of a really bad situation, uh, God's ability um, to to make something good out of something that is really tragically bad. And again, Romans chapter 8, he can work it for good, and he will work it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Um, Paul called according to his purposes. Paul loves God, right? And so he is he is in God's grace. I mean, it is a truly a gift of grace that God would would work out our circumstances for our good, our tragic circumstances for our good and his glory. Now, uh, we have to be reminded of what Luke does not say here in this passage. And so, um, yes, the Maltesians thought Paul was a god, but does Paul ever affirm that? 
No. Paul does not say, hey, by the way, I think, you know what? You're actually right. I've been doing some amazing things. Didn't die by the bite of a viper. And so, yeah, I must be God, right? Paul does not do that. And what do we have based in Acts at this point? We have a whole character set on Paul. And so for Luke, um, from the narrative perspective, he doesn't need to he doesn't need to explain that again, right? But instead, what do we see? We see Paul moving forward to be a blessing. And in that, uh, we see him pointing people to uh, our Father above, uh, to God himself. Paul's not a God, but instead he's going to keep, he's going to do these miraculous things. And we know that he's going to point them back to God because it's what he has done. So it's this under the waterline assumption, I think, that Luke has here for us. And so, again, Luke doesn't tell us that anybody's converted. That's kind of uncomfortable, to be honest. Like, wouldn't it be a nice little a little bow tied up on the end of this on the end of this section and say, and you know, a thousand Maltesians came to Jesus or whatever. Um, that would be a nice little bow for you and I as a modern audience. But when we read the story as a whole. We know that over and over again, God has done indisputably God things and people have responded in faith. Luke's primary purpose in this passage is to show us that God can, God can use the detours and the tragic moments of our lives for our good, that we see God more clearly, our faith is propelled forward, and God is made known to those who did not know him before. And so, um, so with that, you know, they thought, they thought that, there was this cosmic justice that was going to take on that was going to take Paul out. The sea didn't get him. The snake didn't, or the the sea didn't get him. The storm didn't get him. Now the snake is going to get him. It, it is, it, you know, and it's it, it is this divine retribution, and yet Paul's found to be innocent, and so so it's like their their conception of God is now being clarified. A because Paul didn't die. And then how does Paul respond? He responds by being a blessing. He responds by not taking the credit for himself, uh, but instead just just operating the way that he's always operated, which we know, as we've read through the book of Acts, is to give God glory. And we know from, from Philippians and other places, Paul says, now, what is my life that is worth anything except to preach Christ crucified, to know Jesus in his sufferings, that I may attain the power of the resurrection, Paul says in, in Philippians and, and in other places. And so we know who Paul is. We know the character set of Paul because of the previous narrative of Luke in Acts. And so Luke doesn't have to repeat himself, um, but it, we must be careful not to read into what Luke doesn't say or to make too much of what Luke does say. And so that's where we want to, we want to walk that line there. But, but overall, uh, when we, when we wrestle through these questions and I love, I just, I love the honesty. I love the, that we are able to have this conversation and, and you can text it and say, Hey, I, I disagree with that. Or, um, can you clarify that? Like we, the reason we do this podcast is because we want to have a dialogue around the scriptures. We want to, we want to chew on God's word. And, and there are, there are uncomfortable questions. There are difficult questions that we are often left with. And, and so, um, so this, this idea, especially here last week and this week of determinism and free will, are, are we just, are, is everything in our lives predetermined by God? Well, if that's true, then that has implications for our sin. 
And if if God predetermined our sin, then that means God participates in our sin. But the Bible says that he doesn't participate in sin. So which one which one is it? And I think this is why we want to wrestle through these things and be be careful and cautious of how we might how we might say some of this stuff because we want to understand why bad things happen. We want to understand the nature of evil. But uh, at the end of the day, what we must be reminded is that um, if evil exists here and now, there's also one that is good that exists. And one that is good that exists is over is over all things. And the Bible tells us Jesus will have, God will have final victory over all brokenness, over all evil. Revelation 21 and 22, he will bind it up. He will cast into the lake of fire, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And that is where his saints will dwell with him forever in an unbroken state. And that is a good, good thing. And that is good to consider. Uh, but the, the, the gracious gift in this moment is that even though we cause a detour by our sin, others cause detours in our lives by their sin, or it's just the, or just the, the ramifications of a broken world marred by our sin— um, that God can God can intervene and God can use those circumstances uh, for our good and for His glory. That is a gracious, gracious gift. So, again, thanks for the questions. Love thinking through, chewing on, wrestling through these things, and uh, and so often in the in the moments of our lives, we we just have to pause and consider how did we get here, and uh, and and yet what is God what is God doing in and through it. Even though we might have gotten here in a way that did not bring him glory, he is able to work it out for his for his glory, which is truly, truly amazing. So we'll see you next week for the final portion of the book of Acts.